Well, hey, good morning. We are back to pre-recorded messages. Don't freak out. This has been my Labor Day plan for quite a while, and it just so happens to coincide with recent COVID changes in Washington State. But moving forward, my hope is to continue doing live messages on Sunday mornings with the occasional message thrown in from a, a pre-recorded message from a speaker that's in a different part of the world, or when I'm camping, like I am this weekend, and unable to be there live. We started a new series, or we start a new series for September called Can Do, and we turn to the biblical book of Nehemiah and the person of Nehemiah for some inspiration on how we can be can-do type of people. Because rather than waiting for someone else to do what needed to be done, Nehemiah showed courage, discernment, and initiative in becoming an agent of change for God and his people. And you know what? We can too. We can do. We may need this sort of attitude now more than we've ever needed it. You know, some of you, I realize, are very discouraged for nearly opposite reasons. You know, here we are heading into the fall, hoping to have the worst of the COVID pandemic behind us when Delta shows up, uninvited. It makes us take a step back towards mask wearing and thinking twice about indoor gatherings and it's highlighted how polarized we truly are once again with lots of anger and frustration directed at the government for stepping on our personal freedom and lots of anxiety and concern directed at other people who may or may not be contagious. And taking a step back is discouraging to say the very least. But I'd like to point out that in my estimation, the emotion driving most of our reactions over the last, I don't know, 18 months is the same for all of us. It's fear. I know, it doesn't take a psychology degree to observe that people are scared, nervous, anxious, however you want to put it, about catching COVID-19. Scared for our own health, uh, scared for our kids' health, or scared for loved ones. But lately, many of us are scared that this is never going to end. And have you ever stopped to consider, however, that folks who are really angry and upset about how the pandemic has been handled by the government, they're actually scared too? Remember, anger is always a secondary emotion that follows other things and events and emotions in our life. And so, you happen to be scared about losing your rights and your personal freedoms. You're scared about the impacts on our economy. You're scared about the impacts too, by the way, on our children, maybe for different reasons. You know, are they behind where they should be in school? Are they too unsocialized, whatever? Scared that people are falling away from the Lord by not attending church? Scared to get vaccinated or worry that you'll be forced to? Now, I kind of labor the point here because I've encountered a lot of anxious and also angry people, some even directed at me as a church leader, who haven't yet identified that what's at the root of their anger, their outrage, what's well, anxiety, it's worry, it's fear. And so the next time you find yourself in a conversation that seems to be heating up over the pandemic, and man, I've heard from so many of you, it's happening all the time at work and and families, especially extended family relationships all over the place, just pause to remember that the person in front of you is loved and created by God too. 
and that you likely share a common starting point. You may feel miles apart, but sometimes it helps to focus on what you have in common. And instead of letting our emotions determine our general mood, let's do something about it. Let's become can-do sort of people, as in, I can do this. We can do this. I can do this with God's help. And that's where we're headed this morning out of the book of Nehemiah. Well, Nehemiah is one of the historical accounts of the Old Testament from the exile time period. It's written like a letter and the opening lines set the stage like this. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, on the 20th year, while I was still in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah while some other men, or with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, well, "Those who survived the exile are back in, and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire." When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah writes from Susa, which is in present-day southwestern Iran. That's a long way from the nation of Israel, and it's been 150 years after the fall of Jerusalem, and that's a long time. In that time, Babylon had been conquered by the Persians, who now have this huge empire stretching from Egypt to India, and there were groups of people remnants, they're called, that had returned to Jerusalem over the years. And most notably, uh, there was a big group uh, of, uh, around the prophet Jeremiah's time, his generation, who returned after 70 years in exile. And they went back to rebuild the country. You can imagine the excitement and the fanfare that would have accompanied their departure because not everyone went back to the promised land, but a number of die-hard exiles went back so they could make Judah great again. And at that time, there's no cars, there's no airplanes, no cell phones, no mail. News would have been virtually non-existent. So think what it would have been like if you had stayed behind. For all you knew, things were good, like no news is good news, right? Jerusalem's rebuilt, people are thriving, but it's just not so. It's been 150 years and Jerusalem's still in ruins. I mean, all anybody has accomplished is little more than survival. That's just depressing. Nehemiah sat and wept. What else could he do? He's a couple thousand miles away, which in ancient times, he may as well have been on the moon. And you know what? Nehemiah's day job is of pretty importance too, or of high importance. He's serving the king of Persia quite literally. He's the cupbearer. And in spite of how this sounds to us all these years later, being cupbearer was more than just carrying around a glass of wine. It was a pretty high-ranking position in the Persian government because Nehemiah had daily access to the king, which hardly anyone else did. And he also had the king's life literally in his hands. So I'd think of it like a White House chief of staff and secret service member, you know, like meeting a sommelier. Nehemiah is a very capable, very trustworthy person. It, it would be fair to call him a can-do kind of guy. And when we think of can-do people, 
we usually mean people who are self-driven or self-starters. They're, they're driven to make a difference. They're make it happen no matter the cost kind of folks. Recall what Nehemiah, um, or recall, if you will, what did Nehemiah do after he found out Jerusalem and his people still lie in ruins? I mean, did he fly off in a fit of rage and decry the miserable handling of this whole affair? Did he file a lawsuit against the government of Persia? Did Nehemiah go into hiding out of fear of being associated with a broken, disgraced sort of people? No, I mean, Nehemiah didn't even rush out to organize an expedition to immediately fix things. Instead, he fasted and prayed. What's actually described is a period of mourning. I mean, sitting down and weeping wasn't just something where he got up in an hour and felt much better. No, he grieved. Grieved for some time over the loss of of Jerusalem and his nation and his people. And at the same time, he began to fast and pray to God. The book Nehemiah begins with the phrase, Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. And those names mean literally Yahweh comforts. That's Nehemiah. Hakaliah means you wait for it. Yahweh comforts, you wait for it. What if we took a page from Nehemiah's story. We're God's people. When we wake up each day, it's easy to wonder how did we get here? And whether you worry about catching the virus or worry what trying to avoid catching the virus is doing to us, none of it is a surprise to God. No, his careful, watchful eye is over us. Yahweh comforts his people. You and I just need to wait for it. As we wait during this current challenge and the others that will inevitably come, God also invites us to embrace hope, trust, even rest. Trust in the Lord. Embrace his hope. Enter his rest. Nehemiah shows us who is, can, do. It's people who are able to stop and wait on the Lord because he'll empower us Onward. For Nehemiah, onward meant that he would use his position with the king to ask permission to rebuild Jerusalem at the king's own expense. That's a bold plan, to say the least. But here's what happened in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I'd never before appeared sad in his presence, so the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, Well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, If it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Who's a can-do person? It's someone who shows courage. Nehemiah says, I was terrified. And even though he felt this way, he continued on. Courage 
isn't the absence of fear. It's still doing the right thing in spite of it. See, it takes courage to listen for God's voice. And in my experience, that's scary enough. But it also takes courage to follow God's voice. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that God wants to give you that kind of courage. But it's a specific kind of courage. See, Nehemiah's courage wasn't solely based on his own skill set, you know, his experience, his accomplishments. Instead, uh, instead of courage, we'd probably call that confidence. Once I overheard two guys talking at the gym and one said, I think a lot of people mistake a high level of personal confidence for being cocky. Uh, yeah. Some call it cocky. I might call it arrogance. You happen to call it a high level of personal confidence. Well, okay. You know, if you have a high level of personal confidence, that doesn't mean A, that you have a license to be an arrogant jerk, or B, that it's going to translate into being courageous. I'm sure Nehemiah had plenty of confidence. His job would have required it. But his courage was rooted not in his own self-confidence or accomplishments. Rather, it was rooted in what I would call God-confidence. That's not the courage that comes from working for a king here on earth, but from knowing the king of heaven. Yes, God's in charge. Have faith that he's in control, that he has your best interest in mind. It's also having confidence in knowing who God has made you to be, that he can use our own good experiences and even our bad ones to equip and mold us into better people, his people. So when our heart is to follow the Lord, that's all he needs to give us courage. Maybe God has stirred your heart to make a difference in this world. You know, when God places opportunities and open doors in front of us, it, it could be as big as changing our role or career to more closely align with a missional goal that God's put in our life. Or maybe it's simply as small as reaching out and speaking to a neighbor. Like Nehemiah, you can flash a little prayer to the God of heaven and have courage. He's right beside you. So my question is, as you lay awake, awake at night, you know, how do you know that this is God's voice that you're listening to and not just the pizza you ate for dinner last night? Well, it takes discernment. Who's can do? Well, it's people who discern God's invitation. And I hope you've noticed that Nehemiah spent time, like four months or more, just praying, fasting, listening. There's nothing rash about Nehemiah's decision. And as the Holy Spirit guides us, I want to talk for just a moment about discernment. Asking the question, is this the Spirit at work in my life? And I'm, I'm talking here about big things, not, not should I get a Coke or Pepsi at the, at the store? You know, oh God, please guide me. But should I or should we think about adopting a child or pursuing a different job offer or declaring a major or pursuing a relationship? So you've got this idea in your head. Is it just an idea or is it one that the Lord put there? Well, answering this is a sermon obviously in itself. So I'll try and be as brief as possible. It doesn't involve 
you know, throwing out a fleece like Gideon or shooting arrows into the air. Don't consult your magic eight, eight ball if you're old enough to even know what that is. Now look at Nehemiah. There's lots here to learn. See, Nehemiah was already a person after God's heart. Let's not overlook the fact that discernment starts with finding and knowing God's heart and asking him to change yours. Nehemiah's experienced here a season of time, a time of prayer, of discernment. So find some extended time to intentionally get out of your routine and pray. Listen to the Lord. Time is always your friend. Also seek wise counsel. Even though nothing is said here about Nehemiah seeking someone else out, I could believe that his brother or maybe even others were a sounding board for him. But for us, here in the 21st century, you need to find a follower of Christ with a living, active faith, someone who knows you well. What do they have to say about this idea? Is there enthusiasm there or caution? Discerning means using your God-given judgment. You know, asking the question, does this make sense? And I know we can deceive ourselves quite easily, but that's why big decisions are made in community with others. Well, as far-fetched as Nehemiah's plan may have seemed, he was the cupbearer to the king. He had the trust of probably the most powerful man on the planet at that time. So look for God's providence and God's intervention. God opened a door for Nehemiah, and if that happens, go for it. That's probably what we most associate with can-do people. They take initiative, a.k.a. they go for it. So, how are we to know that maybe the king had just been waiting for the right person to send off to Judah and rebuild Jerusalem? And along comes Nehemiah, all he had to do was ask. You know, if you've taken the time to discern and you sense that God is opening a door here, go for it. Once Corey and I were visiting her family in Southern California and we were sitting at the beach and there's often groups of pelicans just kind of cruising by on the, the surf breeze. And I grew up in Iowa, so there wasn't many opportunities to observe, you know, how pelicans behave or especially how they fish. All of us know that they have this, you know, flap of skin underneath their beak to help with fishing. But really beyond that, I knew nothing. Well, as I sat there in my beach chair, a group of pelicans uh, went by all flying in formation and they just kind of do that all day long. They just glide back and forth. And then it happened. All of these pelicans, like all at once, just tuck their wings and drop beak first, like 40, 50, 60 feet out of the air, straight into the water. I mean, it's like watching a cannonball hit the ocean. And uh, I, you know, being a hunter fisherman type, you know, I'm looking around and I'm thinking like, it looks like these birds are dead. I mean, they're flying one second and then they just crumple up in this ball and they drop out of the skies. Well, that's how they fish. Pelicans, they were just waiting, watching, and when the conditions were right, like they saw a school of fish, they just go for it. Well, that's a beautiful picture here of, of how I think discernment works and how God can guide our lives. I mean, 
Nehemiah does the same thing. He waits and he waits. And when he realizes that God has opened a door, he just goes for it. God is with you. When we choose to have faith in his comfort and in his presence, when we take courage that he's in it with us, or take the time to discern his leading, take initiative, seize those opportunities, and that's how we'll become can-do kind of people. So who's can-do? Well, they're also agents of change for God's kingdom. That's one of the biggest lessons here for me and Nehemiah, is to be an agent of change. God's change. Often we ask God if he sees us. You know, God, do you see the stressful, painful, difficult situation that I'm in right now? I'm surrounded, God. Don't you see me? Well, do you ever think that God wonders the same of us? Like, hey man, don't you see? Gary Gorham, he's a, he's a sociologist. He wrote in a little publication called Word and World that followers of Jesus are agents of preservation and people of vision in our communities. We are to leave them better places than we found them. And he goes on to say that it's part of being salt and light, you know, being a moral influence and an illuminating, uh, illuminating the light of Jesus in the world around us. So how can we open our eyes to see the places where God calls us into our own communities? There's lots of broken down walls all around us. How can we leave our families, our friendships, our schools, our churches, our chambers of commerce, our our jails, our city halls, our neighborhood associations, you know, the components that make a community grow and thrive. How can we leave this a better place than we found it? And how can we do this all in the name of Jesus Christ? You know, I firmly believe that like Nehemiah, we're individually and even corporately equipped to uniquely deal with certain certain situations as, as God's people, as followers of Christ. And you know, the pandemic right now is one of those situations. And who are we gonna be? Are we gonna be hermits that avoid all human contact? Or are we gonna be angry instigators that complain about everything? You know, we can't be salt and light and be so far removed from people and relationships that we may as well be on the moon. So how will we stay connected? How will we stay encouraged? And let me just share one of my fears right here, right now at this moment, that the Sabbath rhythm, that Sunday worship, that that's just going to get replaced by other types of recreation that the relational glue is gonna fade within our church and our faith communities. It's hard to be salt and light unless you're in proximity to both God's people and also to our world. But on the other hand, we can't just tell people that Jesus loves them and then behave in such a way that makes us hypocrites. Why do we do what we do? We do it out of love for God, and love of our neighbors. The Apostle Paul also tells us that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And the last time I checked, that even applies to wearing a mask. You know, you and I can do because Christ 
has set us free to shine his light in this world where we now live and it all starts with us. Will you be an agent for God's change? Will you be a can-do kind of person? Let's do this and let's do it together. Please join me in prayer. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you've empowered us uh, to do amazing things, to do your things. And as, as frustrated, Lord, as we might be with the current situation and state of things uh, right outside our door, uh, as scared and anxious as we may feel about the situation and the state of things right outside our door, Lord, let those not become controlling influences on us. Help us to remember you. Help us to remember the mission and the cause that you've provided for us, Lord. Help us to take courage, your Holy Spirit empowered courage, to, to step forward in faith however you may direct us. Give us discernment, Lord. Give us hope. Help us to love one another even when we're tired and frustrated. Oh God, you can do this in us. You can make us can-do kind of people, your kind of people. And we pray this, that you would do that in us. In your name, amen.